Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey friends, welcome into episode 111 of the Leaning into Leadership podcast. My guest on the show today is Dr. Brian Perlman. And we're going to get to Dr. Perlman here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to begin the show a little bit differently this week. I want to actually give a shout out and say thank you to Miguel Gonzalez. So Miguel is somebody that I follow on social media. He also follows me. And earlier this week, Miguel shared a Saturday Simple Strategy of the week, as he put it for assistant principals, principals, and ed leaders. And he stated that the post was inspired by yours truly on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast and said, you know, if you're not tuning into this show weekly, you are missing out. And what he talked about was was say my name, the power in calling people by name. And yes, that's definitely something that I love to talk about here on the podcast and something that I believe very strongly. And so Miguel, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the shout out on that. And folks, I got to tell you, when this type of feedback happens, when we get those five-star reviews, when you leave an actual written review for the show, it is really, really powerful. You know, in, in so many ways, it helps me know that the work that I'm doing when I'm sitting here staring into this microphone or, or you know, having a conversation with a guest is actually resonating with others out there, that it's making a difference, that it's something that strikes a chord with you and that you want to share with other people. So thank you again, Miguel. Thank you to all of you who have left those wonderful five-star reviews on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. So wherever you're doing those, folks, please keep that going for us. We we really appreciate that. The more of those reviews we get, the more people actually end up getting an opportunity to hear and check out the show. So again, thank you to all of you who are there supporting us and allowing us to bring some uh, positive words, maybe some encouragement, maybe a little bit of, little bit of wisdom to you uh, each and every Sunday here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Uh, and speaking of, speaking of bringing wisdom to you, holy cow, today's guest is absolutely going to do that. Uh, Dr. Brian Perlman, if you don't know, is a veteran educator, school administrator. He's a mental health therapist. Uh, he's also a keynote speaker and an adjunct professor. Uh, Brian is the author of three books. Uh, His first book, absolute groundbreaking book, Maslow Before Bloom, Basic Human Needs Before Academics, came out in May of 2020. His second book, Whatever It Takes for All Students to Succeed in School and Life, was released in January of 2019. And he has a brand new book out titled From Struggles to Successes, a handbook for parents and educators. Brian is the co-founder and board member of the health, uh, mental health rather, nonprofit organization, the Distinguished School of Mental Health and Wellness. Uh, Their mission is to ensure that all students can be successful in school. They're out there assisting schools to implement best practices in mental health and wellness and does some amazing things. Uh, They have the opportunity, honestly, for schools to uh, to receive that certification that they are demonstrating the highest levels of mastery uh, when it comes to mental health and wellness. So make sure you're checking them out at dsmhw.org. Brian and I sat down and had a wonderful conversation recently 
And we talked about how there's just so many challenges right now related to mental health needs. And so to get the perspective of somebody who not only has been a school administrator, but is also a mental health professional was really powerful. Uh, we also talked about just how do we best support educators and students today? And then how, how can adults do a really good job for themselves of setting boundaries and setting priorities? So that, of course, a pep talk at the end of the episode. But what a fantastic conversation, folks. I can't wait for you all to hear it. And you're going to get it right after this. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. To start this week's podcast than to just sit down with two former principals who really, really enjoyed the work, appreciated the work, and now do everything they can to support those who are still doing the work. My guest on the show today is Dr. Brian Perlman. Brian, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. Darren, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, before we dive in, um, and I know we're going to talk about a lot of really great stuff today, uh, just really quick for my listeners who maybe don't uh, know you extremely well, just Share a little bit about you, a little bit about your path, uh, maybe about uh, what you're doing now. Well, thanks, Darren. Yeah, so I was a teacher, you know, like all of us. I was a principal for a long time. And then when I left uh, education, I joined my wife's mental health therapy practice, went back, got a degree in that, and see clients now, you know, kids, teens, adults, families, and do that. I do a lot of keynote addresses. I do a lot of PD all over the country with a real focus on mental health, challenging behaviors, self-care, mental health. I think I might have said mental health, but um, yeah, a lot of stuff uh, in that in that area. And uh, in my in my free time, I teach two courses at university here in St. Louis. So uh, yeah, spend a lot of time uh, working with uh, teachers, working with social workers and counselors, principals, superintendents, uh, all of the above, and uh, with a real focus on connecting sort of the school world with the mental health world as someone who is now walking in both of those areas. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, that work is really important, obviously, and, and certainly, um, yeah, I think you did say mental health more than once, but you know what, you probably should, because it's just really that important right now, right? I mean, it's just something that has that much of an emphasis. And, you know, you mentioned that you're you're working with, you know, middle school kids, high school kids. And um, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, John Acuff's All It Takes is a Goal. And John was talking um, recently on one of his episodes um, about how finally we're seeing more and more middle school and high school kids reaching out for that that support that therapy but now he's in nashville but he was saying that it's up to a six-month wait for a kid to get in to see somebody um i mean is that is that something that's like a nashville problem is that a national problem are you seeing that in st louis is it is it that way as well so Darren, again, it, you know, kind of traveling the country, working with people, um, I hear that a lot. There is a, a long line to get in 
for sure to see psychiatrists. That's everywhere. I mean, it's at least six months. And unfortunately, the system is a little bit skewed and, and it's a supply and demand thing where often to get a psychiatrist, you know, if you were in need of medication or something of that sort, as a new patient, really the only way you're going to see someone quickly is if you end up in the emergency room and that's going to get you in to see someone. Otherwise, just trying to reach out through offices, it is a long wait, um, particularly for those that see kids and teens. Um, there's certainly a real shortage of psychiatrists. In the therapy and counseling world, which is where I spend a big chunk of my time, yeah, nationally, it is a long wait. And many providers, you know, don't don't take new clients or it's very hard. I know in the practice, I work with my wife here and with one other practitioner. The one thing that kind of makes us stand out is that we always guarantee that we'll get someone in within a week. And sometimes, Darren, as I talk about self-care and things, trying to get people in without a week means sometimes at the cost of our own self-care. But, you know, especially for these ages, if someone does take the time and, and calls out for help, we don't want them, you know, waiting. We want to get them in here, uh, get them rolling, give them some tools, help them work through some things and, uh, you know, kind of do our, you know, do our part in that. So um, I'm curious. You were you were talking about this before we hit the record button, but uh, you were you were saying that you know nationally we're seeing just such an increase in the number of kids with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. That these typically were adult problems that now we're seeing more and more in kids. Talk a little bit more about that, and and maybe I don't know. Maybe share some things that um, our educators. Um, in the classroom, our educators in administration roles, that type of thing can can do to to keep their eyes open to to really look for look for those signs so they're able to support the kids. So I'll start with the last part of what you said, which is so critically important, is that idea of noticing, you know, noticing changes in attitude, appearance, you know, these sorts, achievement really just noticing those things. And, and I'll tell you in my, my last gig as a principal, you know, some, some years ago, one of the things that we set up a structure where I would stand outside as many principals do and fist bump, high five, bro hug, do whatever that stuff is. But I set it up that there are always seven or eight other people. So every kid would have to interact with so many adults. And really that's level one triage that we were looking for kids that maybe were too high or too low, or notice that they're, you know, they were looking off, or they weren't making, you know, eye contact, or it's someone who always told you a whole story, and then, you know, perhaps that day, they didn't say anything. There's a story there, and probably the most important thing that we can do is notice that, right? Um, habit that there are adults that kids can trust, so if something is on their mind, they have someone that they can talk to, and, and in some ways, I say it can really help change you know, a life trajectory in some ways, I think you can save a life just by noticing and communicating because someone will tell you if they're hurting or if they have, you know, dark thoughts and, and things of that sort. Back to the beginning of, of what you were saying, I think probably as you and I got into education, you know, a few years ago at least, um, it was an adult problem. You know, maybe you heard things about high schoolers dealing with anxiety and depression. Maybe there was a story, you know, once every blue moon about, you know, self-harm or, or a suicide attempt or something of that sort. 
And then it sort of became also a middle school problem. Then it seemed to become also an elementary problem. And I can tell you just in, in my practice here, you know, it was about two years ago, a parent had said, I want to bring my, my child in. My child has suicidal ideation, has a suicide plan. We're really worried. The depression's really high. And um, they, they, they have articulated, you know, sort of this detailed plan and, and saying that life really wasn't even worth living. And Darren, the thing that, that really shocked me is this was a five-year-old. This was in oh, kindergarten. Wow. You know, back when I was in kindergarten, the biggest thing I had to worry about and was stressed about is if I could get the green carpet square to take a nap on or to get to the lunchroom soon enough so I could get a chocolate milk and not be stuck with just a regular milk. So really, this is not the type of thing, you know, early on when I would travel around, people would say, well, maybe you'd like to cater that conversation to our middle and high school or a neighborhood college. You know, our preschool elementary probably don't need to worry about it. And I'm like, I think the preschool and elementary kids, the, the staff need to worry about this a lot more because your secondary people are already aware of this. I mean, it, to some degree, they may not have all of the tools or have a black belt in dealing with mental health but at least are aware it's something that we talk about. And, you know, for, for even our littles, it's just, it, it, it's, it's a big problem. It is a really big problem. It's as I think most of the mental health people I work with say, it's a really good problem for business, but not a really good uh, situation for the status of how people are doing, you know, in our country, you know, internationally. And, and I would really love to put myself out of business when it comes to things like, depression and suicidal ideation and self-harm. So yeah, there's this is definitely no longer just a college adult type of problem. Anyone who works with kids in any way, shape or form, you know, need to be paying attention uh, to these changes, as I said. So I'm wondering, you know, the, the more we see this at, at that elementary level, the more it makes me wonder um, what where the root causes are. You know what what has allowed or what has been the driver for moving this down to such early ages i mean a five-year-old are you kidding me um that just that's just unreal um so and, and maybe i'm putting you on the spot here but but any thoughts on on where some of that root cause is and and what i don't know what what do we do about it so it's a that's an excellent question, Darren. It really is. I think that you know certainly as we are you know going through you know this year and 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 where we are that certainly though you know all of us you know lived through a once in a hundred year pandemic. I don't think that's helped anyone. I haven't met any person who said their life is better off now, you know, or better off as a result of living through this. I, I definitely think. As we look at uh, trauma measures and things like ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, you know, at one point they said two thirds of us have endured at least one traumatic sort of thing. I think post pandemic, I think it's a hundred percent of us, and I think there's a statistic that that those kids and teens that have endured at least four of those, that's kind of like one in eight of us, maybe even one in six of us, perhaps one in five now. So I think. Trauma is a big piece of this. I think living through a pandemic, the isolation, I mean, looking at the little guys and, and little kids who started kindergarten on a computer or started kindergarten in a classroom with masks, you can't read other people's emotions. You know, I really like the idea that 
93% of communication are not the words you're saying. You know, it's your eyes, your face, your body language, it's your tone. And a lot of those things, it's hard to read that when you're on a computer or there's a mask on on someone's face. I think the other piece is that there is such a pressure on kids these days. And I sound like I'm 100 years old because everybody said that when I was oh, kids these days. I feel like there's just yeah. so much pressure on them both for performing at a young age, like a kid's born, they're three months old, we got to get them on the list for, for private kindergarten now. You know, we've got to make sure they have 17 activities because Harvard might be looking, you know, they're really scouting for today's four and five-year-old for the classes of the future, which of course is sarcasm, they, they're not doing that, but so much pressure. And it doesn't mean that someone isn't intelligent. It doesn't mean that they're not fully capable of, of being extraordinary, but that the light bulb hasn't come on yet. And developmentally, look, you look at the, the age, you bring in a, a kindergarten class, you could have a kid who was born like literally the day of the cutoff and some kids that almost took a, you know, a red shirt year, you know, that they're actually older. And you might not think that's a big deal, but if it's almost a year older, that's 16 to 20% of, of a life that the other person hasn't experienced. So the pressure to perform, the pressure to, we've got to get these kids to do, and there are kids capable and we should be pushing them. But for other kids, you know, the other piece is, I remember a lot of play in elementary school and play isn't fun time only. It isn't, you know, an escape from, from learning. I think it is learning. You're outside, you're, you're seeing uh, nature, you're interacting, you're having these social pieces, but there's such a, a cut in that for, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm up on my soapbox, you know, the idea of test scores and the idea of, you know, where it's almost like this one, we've got to get everyone to this one place at this one time. And at the, in the history of the world, that's that's never happened for anyone. So I think that that could be the, the over-programming, you know, the amount of pressure on kids, the traumatic piece. You know, I, I certainly think screens haven't helped us. For They're good for so many things. But like I was in the grocery store the other day, there was a kid that I can't imagine was, I mean, even two years old and had a big iPad in front of him the whole time going through the grocery store because it's the only way, or I guess parents are feeling to keep their kids so they're quiet so they can do what they need to do. When I remember going through the grocery store with my parents and you're learning just by looking or you know, going on a family road trip, we were looking and seeing different things as we traveled. And now nobody's looking at anything but but a screen. So I feel like all of these factors and probably a bunch more have really led to the situation that we're in. And still for people our age and, and those who have kids and teens, I still think there's a stigma to the idea of mental health. It's the kind of thing we're just going to look the other way, put our hand in the sand, head in the sand, they're going to be fine. Don't worry about it when that's just not the case. It's, it's kind of like saying, you know, you have a heart condition. We're just going to look the other way and hope it goes away or diabetes or something. So it's a very long answer to your short question, Darren, but there's a lot of variables at play here. Well, that's what I like to do here on the show. You know, just just, you know, float a really short question out there that has all kinds of layers to it. And I'm probably going to head right into another one here. Um, because I think, I mean, number one, I think you hit on so many key elements. Um, listening to you talk, Brian, um, just about like pressure that parents are both feeling, but then also putting on 
on their kids. Took, it took me to honestly a conversation I had yesterday with uh, with a principal that I'm working with. Their their high school softball team just won the state championship. They had two extremely successful pitchers on the team, um, only one of which got to pitch in the championship game. The other while elated for um, what turns out to be her best friend, the other pitcher, um, was also just crushed and devastated because her dad's feedback was, see, you're not good enough. You should have been the one pitching in that game and not her, and that's on you. And, you know, the, the pressure we put, and this kid's a sophomore in high school, you know, I mean, and you talk about, you talk about, you know, five-year-olds that, that are needing to, to have, you know, therapy and support. And, there's just there's so many high level needs and so many stressors that I think all of us all of us deal with, and so I want to kind of push that forward a little bit and now move move to the adults and specifically the adults that are in our schools, our classroom teachers, our paraprofessionals, our administrators, librarians, secretaries, uh, and so forth. Um, we ask a lot of them to now be that support. Social emotional learning has become a big buzzword and there's a lot of training in this space around around how we support kids, which is wonderful. But the adults have been through a lot of trauma too. And what I've noticed, Brian, when, when I'm in schools, I hear this a lot from a lot of different schools that some of the work that was happening in the school. Maybe they were really going down a good path on standards-based grading, or they were really going down a, a strong path with their multi-tiered, you know, systems of support or their PBIS systems or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And coming back and getting moving again, it's like teachers fell to this factory reset mode where it was more stand and deliver, more consequential as opposed to looking for teachable moments. How do we how do we support our teachers? How do we support our other adult educators because they've been through trauma too? They're struggling with their mental health. That's an, another excellent question, Darren. You know, it it's interesting because even pre-pandemic, I would have people say to me, I love that our school or our school district is saying how committed they are to mental health, to learning about trauma and uh, the real push for self-care. And then, but on the same breath, they just gave us, you know, three new things to implement this year with fidelity and to become experts of. And the expectation is that, which when you introduce anything new, there is that that learning curve and we're stepping out of our comfort zone and change is scary. And, and this job, you know, even this job 30, 40 years ago was difficult. You know, it's just getting more and more so. So, so by and large, I'm not sure that the adults are doing okay. You know, and, and as I talk about, one of the trainings I do is called Self-Care Doesn't Make You Selfish, and they love it, and everyone loves it, and they say it, but the feedback I always get is, but when am I going to do that? But my plate's already full, and they're saying now, oh, you did a great job convincing our central office or our principals, so that's going to be a goal. Everyone has to have a self-care goal. That's fantastic, but nothing has come off of my plate, and I'm already, you know, not in a good place. You know, we talk a lot about a uh, window of tolerance, right? Imagining a window opening and closing. Maybe Darren, you know, if you and I are hanging out at a concert or sporting event, our window of tolerance is wide open. A guy bumps into us, who cares, man? We're 
we're at a concert at this sporting event, you know, it starts drizzling. I don't care. Look, we're at this thing. Look how amazing this is. And you can deal with a number of setbacks and still be in a good place. The problem is life and stressors and everything. There are people waking up with their window of tolerance is almost closed. And the problem is when that window slams closed, the body's response to that is adrenaline, fight, flight, freeze, right? The ability to communicate goes down. Logic, reasoning, critical thinking, and problem solving goes down. In fact, Bruce Perry, who's a psychiatrist out of Chicago, has written books on trauma and other things to do with mental health, says that when that adrenaline gets going, sort of that reptilian brain, that survival mode, and, and, and all that, that your functional IQ can drop by 50 points. So when you hear things, when people, a principal say to you, my gosh, one of my staff members, I don't even know what got into them, or you know, someone just ran out of the door, or whatever it is, I'm like, ooh, 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 Darren, call on me, I got the answer. The reason is, I mean, that's what happens, right? And it's, it's panic and survival mode. The brain and the body in that mode can't differentiate between real and perceived threat. So no different between, oh, great, another thing that's due by five o'clock today, and holy smokes, there's a lion right there about to pounce on me. The reaction is really the same. So the problem is, and we see this in mental health, dealing with anxiety, dealing with stress, we also see this a lot within the trauma world, that the idea is sort of that fight, flight, and freeze is really a good survival thing if literally a lion's chasing us. But it's not so good to live in that zone all the time. It has really bad negative um, health and, and mental health outcomes as a result of being in that, they call it almost like a chronic stress or chronic trauma type situation. So there is a lot there. I, I think as, as I've been asked you know, by administrators, central office people, board members, and so forth, I'd be like, you know what? Let's get down to what are the key and most important things that we need to get across to our students. And let's really have a time period of getting really good at those things and not add anything to the plate unless we're taking things off of the plate. And Darren, you and I both administrators for a long time. We know how this goes. You keep going to your to your your ace, you know, the your your relief pitcher. You always go to the same person. And after a while, it's like, you know, I've had this the greatest teachers you ever work with come in and say, I can't get my head above water. And you're, oh my gosh, I, I didn't mean to bury you, but you're just a superstar. So of course I came to you. And, you know, also teaching adults to be able to say no and no thank you and set boundaries or being able to say, I have 50 things to do by next Friday. Can you help me prioritize which things and what are the things that we can backburn or get assistance on? And again, that's for us as administrators too. I worked really hard my last few years as administrators saying, what are things that anyone can do and having anyone do that? And what are the things that only Brian can do? And then make sure that that became the priority because you know, the last point in this is there's that, that thing that if we don't pick a day for self-care, taking care of ourselves, our body's gonna pick one for us and it's never gonna be a convenient time for us. So right. like if I end up getting really sick or in the hospital for a week, all those things that anyone and Brian can do you know, particularly the Brian things, you're just going to sit there waiting because I'm the only one who can do it. So I think that's another very long answer to a short question. But by and large, I don't think the adults are doing well. And we do spend a lot of time talking about the kids because we're in the business of working with kids and teens, but our adults aren't aren't doing so well either. 
Well, I think you're absolutely correct. And uh, you've, you've really hit on some big pieces there. I want to stay on the, the one that you've kind of wrapped up with, with administrators being really mindful of what they are putting on on the plates of, of others. And, and, and I really like how you talked about, you know, what, what Brian, only Brian can do versus what anybody can do. Because um, administrators, the ones, you know, I'm, I'm working with them, um, you know, right now, so many of them are just taking on everything. And, and in a way, it's because they don't want to put more on somebody else's plate. But unfortunately, what they're doing is they're causing their own plate to just completely overflow. They're not getting to the things that are really important, the things that really, as you put, only they can do. And unfortunately, that, that means that they're falling into just being a manager and not really being a leader. And uh, one of the things I think teachers really want and need right now is somebody who is really a leader for them. And part of that is identifying what really matters, what doesn't matter. Let's get the things that don't don't matter off the plate. Let's get them out of the way. Let's let's be focused on on what we've got to do because there's this massive expectation on our educators right now to fix it, whatever it is. And it is mental health crisis. It is a learning gap. It is a political division that we've never seen before on and on and on all of these things that fall on our educators to fix so yeah absolutely administrators listen to those words uh, be focused on what what only you can do what are the things that everybody can do and then also how to get things off of people's plate really really great words brian really great advice uh let's do this let's transition to the last question i ask everybody here on the show this is the leaning into leadership podcast so Brian, what are you doing right now to lean into leadership? Well, again, and, and you're, you're batting a thousand with really great questions. It's, it's awesome to be here. And I, I wish this conversation could be even much, uh, much longer. I, I really enjoy this. You know, the, the thing about leaning into, you know, leadership and, and doing things of this sort, I feel like a lot that I'm doing in the leadership realm uh, really has to do with, you know, being a role model and define that how you want, whether it's kids and teens that I'm seeing in my practice, whether it's coaching and mentoring, you know, the adults that are coming in my practice, whether it's, you know, um, you know, utilizing social media or email or phone text as people reach out and, you know, are, are, are really seeking that, that leadership and, and, and really seeking a path, seeking advice, seeking assistance. Uh, that that it's it's very it, it's a lot easier I think Darren for you and I in the sense to be really objective because we're not really emotionally connected to to Susie in third grade or Miss Brown in the fifth grade or eighth grade classroom we're just not emotionally it's it's a lot easier for us to 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 do that and 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 I feel like there there is a lot of comfort that that people gain from talking to someone who's been there and done that, you know, who's working regularly with schools and can say, you know, this isn't a Nashville problem. This isn't a Boston problem. This isn't an LA problem. It's, a, it's going on everywhere. And then helping, you know, lead by example and showing how, even though, I mean, you and I are both quite busy. If we went through everything that we do in a week or a month, it's a lot. And sometimes I reflect yeah. and I don't know how I, and all the stars align that I could you know, uh, really get that stuff done. But being able to say, I walk every night, you know, I both read pedagogy and philosophy every day, but at night I read, 
mindless books that just get you know eyes over text you know i spend time with my kids i go go to concerts and uh you know just finding that uh that piece and and maybe as i've said you know self-care maybe the leadership the best way of leaning into leadership the best way of being a role model is really helping people understand what it means to be successful and i think that there may be a misconception on tv on social media and things that it means what kind of car do you have your house how many what what money you have in the bank and and, and all that stuff and that's not at all how i gauge success as a leader uh as anybody you know it doesn't matter what our titles are all of us are you know are leaders in in some way but the thing that i see is balance balance is my big word and it's a thing i've totally adopted that i don't care if you have 80 billion dollars and you grew a company out of nothing when your home life is not doing well or you know it used to be sort of a pissing contest of who can get in the office the earliest and send the earliest email and who can send the latest one and who's sending stuff over the weekend and and i kind of feel like that's not something to be proud of i think that's 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 not good and it sends the wrong example to those that we are leading and the future leaders that we're trying to inspire to me it's a lot better saying i'm not emailing you over the weekend i don't really want you doing work after you leave the schoolhouse you work plenty hard now you know, go be with your family or your friends or do what you need to do for your own uh, wellness and balance and self-care. So if, if anything, it's to show that, I mean, I juggle a lot. There is a lot on my plate. I love it. You know, before we recorded, both of us were sort of talking about those things. I wouldn't give up any of them. But if any of them got in the way of family time or self-care or my health, I would have to scale back some way, shape or form. And I feel like that's the best way all of us, it's not just saying do self-care. Okay, great, when am I gonna do that? Or have a balanced life, great, how are you gonna do that? As leaders, it's really modeling that for other people. And it's kind of walking the building saying, you know, it's, it's you probably should get going. You know, or hey, I got this, you get going. You know, it seems like you're here late every day, go see your family, I, I, what can I do to help? You know, maybe my load is lighter. Maybe a teammate can say, Darren, you're bare, buried right now let me help and you know i'm sure you can help me down the road when when i'm the one sinking in quicksand so i think it, it goes back to you know leading by example um balance and uh you know just moving forward that's i think that's the key to success here excellent i love that love that answer um certainly there are going to be those uh people who want to reach out and connect with you learn more about the work that you do with schools and supporting them with uh, with mental health, um, how do people get in touch with Dr. Brian Perlman? So there are quite a way, quite a few ways to do that. Uh, one, uh, very active on whatever X is, formerly known as Twitter, uh, Dr. P underscore principal. So it's DRP underscore principal. Follow me, I'll follow you back. Message me anytime. On Facebook, which I think is still called Facebook, uh, we have a group there that you can find if you just go to groups. It's Maslow Before Bloom. So join us. It's a private group. A lot of, I mean, there's so many people. I think there's 30,000 people there from every state, every Canadian province, every country, every level. There's people in mental health. There's people in physical health. There's teachers, administrators, all of the above. And it's a really great platform. I'm a big proponent, Darren, of not reinventing the wheel. Let's use the resources 
um, that we have out there and sort of crowdsource the, the, the problems, challenges. Otherwise, they can also reach me by email. It's Brian with a Y at mostvaluablepd.com. And lastly, my phone number, you can text me anytime. This might be dangerous, but you can text me anytime. 314-323-7340. So reach out anytime. Come to St. Louis, visit with me. It's a great town. I'd love to see you. And uh, yeah, sure appreciate it, man. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great conversation. I agree with you. We could uh, we could carry this one on uh, for quite some time. So next time I'm in St. Louis or the next time our paths cross when we're both out and about on the road, we'll make sure and pick up that conversation right there. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining me here on the podcast. All right, folks. Awesome conversation with Dr. Brian Perlman. Make sure that you jump down there in the show notes, check him out, get connected with him. My goodness, he gave you his cell phone number. Reach out to Brian Perlman. Um, the guy means it. He is there to help, and he is truly, truly an incredible human being. Check out that brand new book and get connected with Brian. And now it's time for a pep talk. So I was having this conversation with a leader earlier in the week, and one of the things that we were talking about was this particular goal, this particular effort, if you will, that this leader wanted to see happening in the departments that that they work with. And in essence, it was really working to up the professional practice that's happening in the PLCs. In essence, this leader wants people to be sharing their professional practices, the successes that they're having in the classroom, their pedagogy with each other, and creating that true professional learning space. Absolutely admirable, absolutely the right work to be doing. However, this particular leader told me that because they'd been really, really busy this year, they had just kind of lost sight of that particular goal, had a sticky note saying, hey, this is what I want to work on, but hadn't yet pushed it forward and decided that maybe before the end of the holiday break, they would go ahead and roll that out to their staff, the group that they oversee. Through some conversation, we talked about the importance of timing. You know, great work when put in place with really good timing can create some amazing things. But when we have great work, when we have a great idea and the timing isn't very good, a lot of times it doesn't turn out the way we want it to. You know, when I talk about the timing, it's not just about the time of year, but it's also about do the people have the necessary skills to facilitate the work? Do the people have the confidence in themselves or the trust within the learning group, the PLC, to be able to share, to openly share, to have that dialogue? Or is it something that as a leader that you need to build that infrastructure to ensure that they are going to be set up for success and that the work that you envision can truly happen? Because ultimately your end user, the outcome, the value that you're looking for is increase in student performance, increase in student outcomes. And those things can happen when great work and great timing come together. When they don't, unfortunately, the results may vary. Let's just say that. So I'm really happy to say that this particular leader has kind of modified their plan 
and is really going to work to ensure that the, the people that she is asking to facilitate this work have the skill set necessary and the confidence to be able to truly lead this work and to lead it to the successful outcome that she's looking for. So folks, just be really mindful of that. Great work and great timing are both necessary for great work to happen. Thanks so much for joining me here on the podcast. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.